This podcast is intended solely for educational purposes and presents information of a general nature. It is not intended to guide or determine any specific individual situation and persons should consult qualified professionals before taking specific action. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not those of Milliman. Hello and welcome to Critical Point, brought to you by Milliman. I'm Rebecca Driscoll and I'll be your host today. In this episode of Critical Point, we're going to be talking about cyber risk. The entry point for most of the general public when it comes to cyber is attacks like those on Equifax and Target, breaches that were highly publicized and comprised a lot of personal information, but appeared isolated to one target company. But cyber risk has the potential for much more serious, far-reaching consequences on the scale of 2008's global financial crisis, as we're about to discuss. Joining us today are Chris Harner and Chris Beck, consultants from Milliman's Cyber Risk Solutions Practice. Chris, Chris, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Rebecca. Great to be here. So let's just jump right in. What does Milliman's Cyber Risk Solutions Practice do? What makes you guys different? Milliman's Cyber Risk Solutions Practice, uh, first and foremost, focuses on not the assessment per se, but the quantification of cyber risk. And that's really important because a lot of the other consulting houses or products out there, they're, they're really conducting or selling assessments, control assessments, red teaming, that type of thing. What we're focusing on is taking inputs like that. Uh, those, what those assessments are, are certainly relevant, but we provide quantification by taking a comprehensive view of industry data, in-house data, uh, those other types of those other types of assessments, in order to quantify their risk and to really give the client uh, what they need, and that's a, a continuous loss distribution, so they can start the discussion on what's the ex- the expected loss of a breach or, or or an event, as well as the the tail. What does that look like in an extreme event? There's also kind of a language and communication issue here, and what we mean by that when we talk to chief risk officers or to chief information security officers. Uh, one of the challenges they have is too much information. And how do you take all that information and how do you synthesize and analyze it and tell a story that's intelligible to the C-suite or to the board? And so part of what we're doing is by quantifying cyber risk, which is a new risk that people are struggling with, they can begin to use that risk language that the board is comfortable with, that they recognize maybe from credit risk or from from other domains, and then they can start to demystify their risk, and people can start uh, talking about strategy, risk appetite, cost benefits of certain investments, and so on. So it's uh, it's definitely the quantif- the quantification of this risk, but really there's a higher order issue. Is I think we're we're helping uh, the risk people communicate with the information security people and to tell that story to the board. So what is the biggest misconception about cyber risk? I would say. Uh, the knee-jerk reaction is people feel that this is uh, strictly technology. It's uh, specialists with that background own this, um, and there, there's a logical reason for for that. Uh, but we think it's actually an old risk, which is sort of resurrected in a new form, meaning it's, it's bad people using technology to do bad things. Uh, so as I like to say, instead of someone lurking around your home right now with a crowbar to break in, they're using some type of technology or program or, or spear phishing to break into your system, steal data, and so on. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest uh, misconceptions, and that's what drives a bit of this gap say, between the risk side of the house and the technology side of the house. 
think another misconception is that it's really about data security and information security. And the problem is really much bigger than that, is that you're in the world of cyber, there are bad actors who are trying to, for various reasons, grind companies to a halt, grind sectors to a halt. Uh, and because their motives are potentially very, very different, uh, the impact can can be very tough to measure, be very tough to analyze. Uh, so what do I mean by that? If we look at the different large cyber incidents, some were motivated by financial gains. People were trying to steal information so that they can sell it. Some organizations were trying to disrupt business, actually stop a firm from being able to do business. Some examples, people are just trying to embarrass uh, a business. And we also have seen a large number that of cyber events that have been tied to state actors. And we start to see some of the questions are the motives behind cyber, cyber the same motives that any other nation state would have to do another sector or do uh, another country harm? So when you start looking at all of those different motives, it's the it's the detective story. Is that you can't really figure it out until you figure out where the motive was, and that usually tells you where the crime is going to happen. With the myriad of motives for a cyber attack, it makes it an incredibly complex. Thing for companies to look at and it makes it different from the normal challenges of other risks. Talk about that a little bit. Maybe Chris Harner, if you want to start off, what I think when you think about the general public, most people think about cyber as these large, these isolated attacks for personal financial information, the Target, Equifax, hmm. Marriott. But there is something that seems much more sinister silent cyber that doesn't get as much press. Um, can you talk a little bit, what is silent cyber, introduce the concept, and how can it have sort of more global ramifications? Sure. So silent cyber uh, is something that's a phrase that's coming out of the insurance sector. And uh, that is the realization that when you underwrite cyber insurance, that a claim doesn't just impact that specific policy because there are knock-on effects on other policies that have been underwritten. So, for example, everybody's read about a cyber breach, and probably the second article the next day is now shareholders or some group is suing the board of directors or that company. So in the insurance world, that means not only will that company potentially tap the cyber policy with a claim, but now the DNO, the directors and officers policy. There might be other policies that that same underwriter uh, wrote for that company, uh, E&O, which is errors and, and omissions. There could be CBI, contingent business interruption. So think of a, an industrial company whose supply chain was, was disrupted, uh, couldn't deliver on certain contracts, couldn't produce certain things. And now what the underwriter originally thought they had a limit around that cyber policy with this one company and that it was contained, let's just say, at $10 million. Now all these other claims roll in over time, um, which means exposures maybe, let's just say, $50 million. So there's this uh, nonlinear multiplier effect of how cyber events uh, play out. And that is a big concern for, for the insurance sector. As we live in a continually more and more connected world, the second and third order impacts of a cyber event become much, much larger. 
our power grid is increasingly moved to places where web and technology that is vulnerable to cyber is being used to more efficiently deliver you electricity. But that creates a vulnerability that means that a cyber attack might lead to not only you not able to turn your lights on at home, but issues with hospitals, issues with public service, uh, fire, police. The the ability to look at those is complicated and difficult. Uh, but when we look at si- silent cyber, a lot of the things that are potentially impacted were also insured. And that means that a supply chain issue could cause lots and lots of problems and lots and lots of insurance claims. The inability to deliver other goods and services do the same. I think I would just add to that. Um, you know, if you take a step back, cyber really highlights and aggravates the law of unintended consequences. So let's take a simple example in healthcare. The uh, Affordable Care Act requires the digitization of medical records. There's a certain logic to that uh, so that physicians can you know, get the, the lab results very quickly. It's on file. But to Chris's point, now that's a new vulnerability. And depending how that plays out, um, if someone's records are compromised or deleted and the physician doesn't have that information and something goes wrong, is there potentially a malpractice lawsuit? Is there a claim on that policy? So this is part of the, the complexity of, of cyber as we become more and more dependent upon the Internet of Things or you know, other software and, and that type of interconnectivity. We've seen this interconnectedness of risk actually play out in a number of cyber attacks uh, fairly recently. I mean, within the past decade, probably. Chris Hunter, you you sort of talk about this when you have a, you can tell the story a little bit. Why don't you tell us in what ways we've seen cyber risk and the interconnectedness of that risk play out globally? Yeah, so I think the um, one event that comes to mind in 2017 was the NotPetya attack. And uh, long story short, it's believed that. Russian intelligence created a virus to punish Ukraine to hit their infrastructure because of what's going on in in the eastern half of of the country. And so they inserted some malware into an accounting attack software that started to infect the the entire country. And again, back to the law of unintended consequences, they only wanted to really punish or to hurt Ukraine, um, but what they did, it actually spread globally. And so as that virus propagated throughout the country, it eventually hit in Odessa. And in that port, uh, the largest shipper in in, in the world, Maersk, the, the Danish company, uh, has operations there and their software, their systems became infected. And from there, it propagated, it jumped to Mumbai, to Rotterdam, to other ports around the globe, and eventually knocked them off of 75 out of 76 ports in the world, resulting in the inability to load or unload ships. 20% of global shipping goes through Maersk, and each of those large ships contain roughly 18,000 containers. So this uh, had that second and third order effect of shutting down ports around the world because now you cannot load or unload, which means the trucks can't move. Uh, And in terms of silent cyber, that was a game changer in which the insurance industry realized there are other claims. We never thought of something like that happening, but if you had perishables uh, on board, if you, know, you had breach of contract because, again, in the supply chain, you you, you weren't delivering, et cetera, um, 
this is how it spreads. Again, this is this is a kind of a nonlinear geometric impact. And last but not least, that case really highlights as well, cyber, unlike many other risks, does not have a geographic boundary. So that makes it different in the insurance industry, say, versus cat risk for hurricanes, earthquakes, and and, and so on. The title of this podcast is Could Cyber Risk Be the Next Big Short? What are things that insurers need to watch out for given the, the interconnectedness of this risk? So the reason we draw the analogy to the big short and I'd say for all firms but especially the insurance industry is that it is non-obvious how the different potential bad day events could impact each other and could lead to a fairly catastrophic event for the insurance industry. So when the the big short analogy I think works really well because there were lots of things that the financial industry was looking very hard at uh, in mortgages, measuring performance of different financial tools, uh, measuring risk through classic risk metrics. But they weren't looking at potential chains of events where if just a couple of their assumptions failed, the second and third and fourth order effect would be so cumulative in nature that it could uh, wreak real havoc on the economy. So what does that look like for cyber? The the NotPetya attack is is an example, but we would put forward that it is something sort of inside the expected possibilities for a cyber attack because even though it was by dollar value one of the largest attacks uh, in history, lots of things kept going forward and through a little bit of planning and really some luck, uh, lots of systems were being were able to be put back online fairly quickly. But if you start thinking about the – what happens if – we'll keep with the Maersk example – what if it wasn't 75 out of 76 ports? What if it was 76 out of 76 ports? They got lucky that one port was offline due to a blackout and they were able to recreate their systems from the data in that port. Well, that's not 20% of global shipping offline for a couple of days. That's 20% of global shipping offline for we don't know how long. And when you start multiplying that by – containers and goods to market, uh, you start seeing the the real potential for the catastrophe. One of the, the analogies that comes to mind there from the big short is that you get to a place where banks that were taking risk and betting on mortgage-backed securities start to not be able to serve their clients that had nothing to do with those businesses. So you had large, profitable companies saying, I don't have cash on hand to do payroll. That's the reason I've got a rolling line of credit with you. My my cash is invested in 500 other things that give me a higher rate of return than taking a loan from you. You're telling me that even though I had nothing to do with mortgage-backed securities and I wasn't exposed or taking any of these bets, that I might not be able to make payroll in 15 days and 20 days and 30 days. The same analogy works uh, and frighteningly well for a cyber event that can take the the systems and processes of business offline for an amount of time that you start to see effects that are fairly catastrophic for companies and industries that didn't think they were in the cyber insurance business that they thought that 
legitimately thought they had their cyber risk profile understood and well controlled for. Yeah, I mean, I I would uh, I definitely agree with that, and I, and I would add to that. You know, Chris makes a good point that you know we haven't had the systemic event, and the big problem with where technology is taking us is that interconnectedness. And what that means is that risk is increasing throughout the economy, which means regardless of what business you're in, you're less and less resilient because you're more and more exposed to the failures of counterparties, suppliers, or indirectly, um, you know, think of different types of, of vendors. So as engineers would, would, would say, Everything is becoming tightly coupled. So think of if you uh, ride Jersey Transit and you um, – I are, do, yes, unfortunately. And you, yes, and if you're trying to get home, well, Amtrak owns those railroad tracks. So if an Amtrak train breaks down and they have priority, you're going to sit there. That's a very tightly coupled – That happened this morning. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that is a very tightly coupled process. And um, cyber is aggravating this type of interdependency – and it's uh, it means that you can no longer be as resilient and robust to survive a systemic attack. You know, maybe a one-off just to your business in your area. And again, you know, going back to the insurance sector, you know, this is a bit s- similar to blackout modeling where you have a cascading failure. So one uh, node in the power grid goes down. So the other areas get overloaded. They go down and, you know, we experienced that actually in August of, of 2003. Uh, you know, Ontario went down and took down Ohio, Pennsylvania, and then everybody else with them. And that's really where we're headed potentially with cyber. And it, it's not clear if everyone's really thought this through and is prepared for it. We can't say that we can ever prevent a cyber attack, prevent this, but but there are better ways to manage this risk. Can you guys talk a little bit about sort of what are some of the dangers or what are some of the good things that insurers and and businesses can be doing to manage this this interconnectedness at risk? Absolutely. So it's a couple of things. One, it's to you – know, with the available tools, doing a very good job of measuring both your exposure to cyber risk as well as the steps that you are taking to prevent cyber risk and that – Almost every firm is doing that today and spending a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of very smart people are coming up with great solutions to that. The The next piece to that is to also look at the cyber risk that the other companies you're connected to, whether it's through an insurance contract or two companies are doing business and we have data feeds uh, in between the two. So understand how you're connected to the larger ecosystem of cyber risk uh, and understand the – threat vectors and the potential controls that are in place. The supply chain uh, analogy is great here. You, most people wouldn't think that they're exposed to cyber risk through their overland trucking. You are exposed to cyber risk through overland trucking, and we saw this in NotPetya, because when the truck was showing up at the port, because of the cyber event, the port didn't know which container to take off the ship in which order because a lot of that was digitized and a lot of that wasn't available because of the cyber attack. So they don't know which container to put on the truck. So your supply chain is now down in your company taking losses through your overland trucking, which you really probably didn't put in uh, 
into your cyber equation, you probably – if you're three stops down the supply chain, you probably hadn't accounted for that. But it's looking at the landscape with a bigger and bigger lens and putting together the different connection points so that you can aggregate that risk and then try to find where is it that you are – most vulnerable and least controlled? Where's the best bang for your buck to try to mitigate the risk? We absolutely understand that people are doing great jobs of solving for the different threat vectors, trying to stay in front of the next state actor or non-state actor that is trying to bring the next massive cyber attack. A piece that's not obvious in that equation is how do you see a bigger picture and understand that potentially a threat vector or a cyber attack that is not targeted at you might very well impact you significantly and understand the greater landscape and ecosystem. Yeah, I would just add to that, um, you know, looking looking at the big picture, you know, some people have said that cyber risk is sort of like the Cold War. For every new defense you develop, the enemy will develop a new offense. And I think uh, if you're a decision maker, kind of a, a, a senior person in in the organization, you know it begs the question: Well, what? How do I get started? Like, like, what do I need to do today? And I think the first question you ask yourself is: Can you get your arms around again? What does a bad day look like? How much is this going to cost? What type of damage are are, are we going to have? And and including a lot of those things that, that we just talked about of of what's driving that. And and that's where, uh, you know, we believe strongly that if you can't quantify your risk, then you really can't have a meaningful discussion about it. You know, you're not going to get to risk appetite. You're not going to be able to determine, you know, budgets are limited. Resources have have, have limits. Um, how do you deploy that capital? And that's why it's just so important uh, to begin that process. And, and a lot of this information, a lot of these things are, are lying around in different places. So the risk people probably have uh, certain types of, of, uh, of assessments. Certainly the information security people probably have too much information and are struggling what to do with it. Uh, then you have the compliance people or on, on the legal side of the house will say, hey, you know, a new law was passed in this jurisdiction. Uh, we have to comply with that and, and so on. So I think it's taking all those pieces and, and asking yourself, um, are we comfortable where we're at? If we get breached, not only do we have a plan, but but do we kind of know ballpark where are we going to land in terms of 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 the damages, the the remediation, and so on? And if the answer is no, then just like uh, all the traditional classic risks, um, it'd probably be good to sharpen pencils and start getting a game plan together on 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 how does the organization get their arms around that. Well, and you both have been arguing for sort of this new risk management paradigm, sort of what's a high-level overview of this way of trying to manage this risk. So um, imagine there's a car accident and you're standing on one side of the street and someone else is standing on the other side of the street. Um, You both witness the accident. You both describe it to the police, um, but you come up with two different versions, not that one person's wrong or the other person is not telling the truth, but there's a different point of view of what happened. All of that is valuable information if we're trying to determine what happened, who's to blame, and so on. Uh, so when we think about kind of this this paradigm shift, um, we've been getting into complexity theory of looking at risk from uh, a different angle, just not the classic uh, structure, which is very linear 
of um, what, again, we like to call list management. If we're going to list out all these risks and then we're going to you know, assess some probabilities around, you know, does it happen? What's, what's the impact? That doesn't capture the relationship, the nonlinear relationships of those risks. So what we've been doing is uh, borrowing from the social sciences, such as cognitive mapping. So going back to the analogy of the accident, um, everyone has a different point of view, a different perception, and it's valid. So that's why we need to bring everyone at the table. This goes back to the language issue. It's not just technology. There are risk people, compliance, legal, finance. Everyone needs to be working together on how to solve this problem. Cognitive mapping allows us to do that, to create a picture uh, and what are the connection points. If we think of that in risk terms, that allows us to start to understand a story of what triggers have to be tripped. How many, how does that work out to get us to a tipping point to really an event? And if you kind of visualize that, um, there's a pathway. There's different ways bad things can happen. There's different ways that accident could occur. Uh, it could be because of bad weather. It could be because someone was texting and wasn't paying attention. It could be that someone on a bicycle just jumped right in right in front of them and they swerved. Likewise with cyber because it's such a high-velocity risk. Uh, it's moving so quickly that um, – we don't think traditional methods are going to allow you – and you don't have the data. You don't have a rich 50-year data set in, in, in order to model it that we have to think about this differently in order to get comfortable of how does that risk actually manifest itself. So besides the additional exposures we've been talking about when it comes to companies, vendors, clients, other third-party relationships, uh, Chris, I've also seen you make the argument that this is something that needs to be taken into account for mergers and acquisitions uh, if there's one company thinking of acquiring a, a target company. Yeah, that's that, that's right. I think this is an, an overlooked area, but I think it's gaining more traction of people. It's, it's, I think it's dawning on people that when you conduct due diligence in a very large transaction – uh, that assessment, I mean, there's all the traditional areas that, that, that you're going to look at. And you mentioned, you know, vendors, third parties, et cetera. Um, if it's, you know, two banks, they're probably going to look at the loan books and what does the aggregate exposure look like? Well, that concept applies to cyber as well. So, you know, you don't want to get into a situation where you're acquiring uh, another company um, and you think it's going to enhance a certain part of your business, but without realizing it, that uh, you're actually acquiring additional cyber risk. Um, maybe your attack surface changes in a radical way. Uh, maybe that introduces new threat vectors. Um, and if you haven't assessed that, then you know you have to ask yourself, do I really understand the risk of this transaction? And if it turns out that in conducting that assessment for M&A by looking at the cyber landscape of, of that target, um, that should actually move the needle on price. Uh, but probably more importantly, if you see something you don't like, uh, either you'll walk away or you're going to expect that uh, the target is going to change certain things. So that's definitely an area that uh, people need to think about. What are three questions that business executives should be asking themselves and their board when it comes to measuring their cyber risk? So I think the first one is, do we really know what a bad day would look like for cyber? The second one is, do we understand the different things that could occur or trigger that bad day happening? And I think the third question is, are the actions that we're taking and planning to take the most effective ones to mitigate those risks? 
there is near universal agreement that there are going to be large-scale cyber attacks on major corporations, whether they're global or domestic. The piece that we're really urging people to be thinking about is the odds that that cyber attack is going to impact their firm. And the degree to which things become more and more interconnected, the way we've seen the evolution of cyber attacks manifest themselves, the odds are that a large cyber attack on a corporation that's not yours could very well impact you in many of the different ways that we've described. I think there's a consensus that where we've headed with cyber, the issue is not if you're going to get breached, but when. And uh, however that attack manifests itself, again, it can be indirectly through a vendor, a third party. So the exposure might be broader than than people realize. So we would encourage uh, people to really think about that of how can that threat evolve. Well, thank you, Chris and Chris, for joining us. You've been listening to Critical Point, presented by Milliman. To listen to other episodes of our podcast, visit us at milliman.com, or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll see you next time.